I'm Jason Hopkins, founder and president of The Connection Project. Welcome to Everyday Brave, a podcast series for emergency responders by emergency responders. We explore real-world issues that each of us face. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and instill hope that we are all in this together. Thank you for joining us on this journey to become more connected to ourselves and others. Let's get started. Today on this episode of Everyday Brave podcast, I'm joined by Chris Macklin. Chris has worn many hats in his career, firefighter, paramedic, engineer, training engineer, and now wellness manager for South Metro Fire. His passion to support the emergency responder community began after responding to the Columbine shooting in 1998. In the years since, he has worked tirelessly to support the responder community and currently leads the wellness initiatives at South Metro Fire. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining me. It's thanks. a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for having me. So as we jump in, um, thanks for the comp- contributions you're making to, to better support the, the emergency responder community. Um, I know that those accomplishments today are not where you began. Can you give us some backstory about how this work became important for you? Yeah, I've been a paramedic since about 1992. Okay. I, I worked for Denver General for, for the first about 10 years of my career. Okay. Um, and I moved on to South Metro Fire in about 2002. Okay. And... Really, my passion for taking care of men and women that 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 do what we do really rev- uh, evolved after Columbine High School. Okay, um, not so much the events of that afternoon, but really what happened after. Um, I, I responded down there around noon that day um, and walked through the library at about three p.m. with my partner. Wow! Um, and so, all of us that were deployed there from Denver General were forced to go back to the hospital to a debriefing. So there was no mechanism to uh, diffuse um, with our peers. Right. We were, when we went into a room where there were strangers facilitated by a stranger, right. um, visitors essentially that weren't, weren't at the school. Um, and what happened to me after that was I, I exited the room swiftly, sure. um, frustrated um, didn't have any time to diffuse or, or, or really reconcile what I had seen or, or in the in that school. Right. I went home and did everything wrong. I watched the news until about midnight. Right. I drank beer and <laughs> was just super frustrated. And so right. for the next two weeks, I was just sort of lost because I didn't know what to do. Right. Um, I think I'm fortunate that I'm a naturally resilient person, and so. Right. Um, it didn't the the events of that day didn't linger with me. What lingered with me was how I was treated after that. When really all I needed was to put an arm around my peer or my peer to put an arm around me and let's talk about what we saw and process it and move right. forward. And that right. and so that's where I am today, and that's what motivates me. So really, the the events of that day kind of teed up the work you've done since. And it sounds like what you experienced was, you know. It, and, and no fault of anybody. It's just we didn't have a program or an outlet to really give people who had just walked into this kind of high-intensity, high-pressure situation. We didn't give them an outlet to release the pressure. And and I think we both know that that often results in some catastrophic outcomes, um, and we see that play out you know, often in the lives of, of responders. So wellness manager at South Metro, um, tell me what that means and what that encompasses. What really led me to where I'm at today at okay. South Metro was in 2012, I started coordinating our peer support team. Okay. So we had had a team loosely um, over the maybe the decade before then, but it wasn't really formalized or organized well. Sure. Um, so became more robust, got formalized training um, with a clinical advisor and started to dive into what's the best 
where's what's the best science around taking care of each other after after calls or or stress injury, right? And so what we what we really recognize is that the ability to normalize a stress reaction was the most important thing in a safe environment. Right. And so what so really what led me here was um, instituting this the changing this philosophy and beginning a process where we implement a what we call a diffusing after every call. Okay. So that's sort of the low hanging fruit, right? And that's while I'm still online. And then if you you marry, um, I was on our union's executive board at the time, and we were also, you know, sort of had a couple of different visions. We're looking at how do we how do we support men and women's physical health, and at the same time, sort of working on this peer support piece, so around behavioral health, right? And those all sort of blended together in about 2014. Okay. Um, and the other thing that we were able to do um, was to was to start looking at our EAP providers, so our our, our you know our clinicians, and saying how can we how can we create a group of clinicians to support our men and women that are culturally competent and have trauma exposure? Right. So, so our men and women are going to the right the right person um, when we refer them out as okay. well. So you use the word wellness for the program you have. How do you guys define wellness? Because I know there's a lot of um, interpretation and misinterpretation around what that means. What do you all think that it includes? Well, wellness, I, like super, like all this stuff is sounds so simple, right? Simplistic. Right. It's not. <laughs> wellness is really everything right. around your well-being, right? And we really look at it as the physical health. Um, so, um, you know, exercise, strength and conditioning, cardiovascular endurance, right? That's that physical piece. Right. Um, and then good, good sleep habits and a healthy diet and positive behavioral health and um, a mechanism so men and women can es- escape from the job and, and go do what they, they like to do off-duty and, and sure. make sure men and women have a, a good work-life balance and can appreciate all those things. And so we really, like again, as silly or simple as it sounds, we look at as wellness as the whole person. Yeah, so it's at whole work, health, really. Yeah, at work and at home. Right. So in doing that work, I mean, I know the physical piece is probably more natural for the groups that you're working with. The behavioral health piece or mental health, let, let's say, um, how do you see that really being integrated into your program? I mean, I know you have uh, tools and outlets to explore that with people. Is that something people are more naturally inclined to talk about these days or? So, yeah, so we, we've we looked at it from this approach. Again, it sounds simple. There's really sort of five fundamentals, right, around – it's all interconnected. Right. So um, eat well, exercise sleep and then when we really get when we narrow the focus to behavioral health it's awareness and then normalizing reactions and normalizing mental health issues so right. both right so the reaction to call stress injury and then normalizing that we may have men and women in our population who have who have mental health issues right. out, outside of stress injury right and so it's all it's all connected right some of the again it seems easy if I sleep well and I eat well and I exercise, I'm going to be more naturally resilient. Right. Um, but then the bigger piece in, in, in our organization is that. So the, I'll talk about awareness. So awareness is classroom education, right? Um, traditional training environment. So you can share data and statistics and rates of, of stress injury and rates of resiliency. And so men and women have a general understanding of sort of what the general population looks like as sure. emergency responders. And that second piece of awareness is then men and women giving their firsthand testimony of their own personal experiences. Right. And so if you can take a, a paramedic or a firefighter to stand in front of their peers and tell them exactly what they just went through, um, it really normalizes that, 
that, that that's a it's a normal stress reaction and it's sure. okay to have it um and that's really where we get into um that normalize to 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 i'm um, sorry from awareness to normalization right and that's where that transition takes place sure and really and we've seen it at south metro um where one person tells their story, we get three or four others that are listening Absolutely. To, to share their story. Right? Yeah, there's real power in personal short storytelling. And it sounds like that's what you needed on that day of Columbine. For sure. And that's you know, what really I was lacking. An outlet to do this. And and I'm guessing, you know, most people who are listening uh, will certainly be aware of or understand that, that your folks are seeing some of the worst situations day in and day out. And you know, just even though you may walk away and go do something else, it doesn't mean you fully unplugged from that situation, right? Right. Oh, for sure. So how how does the wellness program work? Is it something that everybody has available to them at South Metro, or is it something that people come into after they've had an event or an experience? So wellness at South Metro is like really open. It's your culture. It's our culture, and it's okay. open. Our our center, you know, so our, we have a center that, that provides uh, rehab from orthopedic injuries. We've done right. some um, – We've done some cardiovascular rehabilitation. Right. We sort of touched everything. Um, and all of our workers' comp injuries come into our wellness program as well. And that, those include stress injuries, so on the behavioral health side too. So we're supporting all those men and women in that environment. Sure. Um, and, um, yeah, that, so we all, we, all, we all have that access to it. Um, I'm sort of lost in this piece. Um, no, totally fine. So basically the, the – um, if I understand from previous conversations that you and I had – um, people access that program often after there's been an injury or something's happened, even though it's culturally language you all speak. Um, I think you mentioned to me that you do your own workers' comp in-house. Um, so really you all have taken what traditionally would have been outsourced to other groups and you've brought it all back in-house. Um, is that similar to what other agencies do or is that pretty unique? Or? No, again, right. That's unique to, to South Metro. Okay. We, yeah, we, we manage all those things in-house. We, um, and that way... That way we're walking our men and women through all those those processes, right? right? And it also gives us, honestly, it shines a light on our gaps, right? So right. in in a traditional process, we really, you sort of, a, a member may go to the third-party administrator and an occupational physician and may have a stress injury that we're not aware of. Sure. Um, and there's no spotlight on that because right. we're, we're not seeing them on a regular basis. Right. So what we've done at Wellness is we've we've given an opportunity for our men and women to come in and do their rehab on site. We get to see them on a regular basis. We get to give them some structure. Our wellness center, we've really tried to make it as close to a firehouse as possible. Um, we treat the training room like the firehouse kitchen table. Okay. What's said in the train training room stays, stays there. in the training room. <laughs> um, we work really hard on that environment so so men and women have the the freedom to express themselves. Right. Um and 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 to and then again to commiserate with their peers and sure. that. and so that's also an opportunity for us to see how people are doing and interacting. And so, again, like I talk about gaps, I think we had a gap on stress injury. And so it, it shines a light on those men and women that may be struggling, and it gives us an opportunity to get them help sooner. Right. So, you know, we, we talk a lot, like, like I said, the low-hanging fruit in prevention is sleep, eat well, and exercise. Right. But I think we've made progress because we, we're not always aware. Like, it's hard to prevent what's, un, what's unknown. Sure. But and I, people don't often come out and just tell you what's going on, especially with the mental stuff. Right. And, and with our environment of, of getting men and women to give their testimony and normalizing things, and then with our wellness program, seeing our members on a regular basis, I think what we've, what we've been able to do is where maybe a member in the past ha, ha, had a stress injury, right. but they couldn't reconcile. 
and they struggled with it for two, three, or four years. Okay. I think where we're getting to today is um, men and women are coming to us two or three weeks. Okay, so much quicker. For sure, yeah. So in doing this work, and now that you, you are identifying the gaps and seeing some some of the results from that, and, and I a lot of my work is around identifying gaps. I mean, the known is the easy stuff for us to work on, like you say, low-hanging fruit. What um, are you seeing decreased rates of substance use and abuse or um, you know, mental health incidents in, in the people that you're serving? Um, do you think that's declining? That's a super hard one to quantify, right? right? Because if you weren't keeping statistics. You don't know your baseline. And, you, and, you, and you're introducing new programs sure. and normalizing new um, different modalities of treatment. So I'll tell you that we do know um, our utilization of our uh, EAP network is increasing because we see the numbers, right? The budget, right? right? Sure, Those sure. numbers are exceeding the budget. Right. Um, and then we also know, you know, we men and women that are emergency responders aren't always receptive to talk therapy. Right. So another way we know that we're touching more people is we've introduced um, neurofeedback as a treatment. Um, and EMDR as a treatment. We've asked okay. all of our EAP providers to have at least one practitioner that does EMDR. So for those listening who don't know what either of those things are, can you give us a little insight onto what, what those two things are? Yeah, so neurofeedback is essentially you get an EEG of your brain. So you, okay. you get, a, you know, put sensing equipment on your, on your head, electrodes, and they, they evaluate your brainwave activity um, with your eyes open and your eyes closed. And it just shows, it just, that's basically a brain map, and, and it shows your basic... Um, activity in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what it reveals is brainwave activity that's out of the norm. So let's say you and I sitting here right now, just having a casual conversation, we shouldn't have any fear or anxiety. Right. We're in a safe environment, right? Sunny. <laughs> and um, what it reveals, and especially in emergency responders, and it's true with the mil- military men and women is you, you, we, anxiety, we really call it anxiety like that. It That's the first real stress injury, right? It's this but what it really is is high beta wave activity in your brain. That's okay. fight or flight, hypervigilance, hyperarousal when you shouldn't have it. Gotcha. And so you feel that anxiety in your chest, that stress. So you feel, you know, for for no good reason. Sunny day driving in your car, like like if it in, if it entered you and I right now, there's no good reason for it. Okay. That's that high beta wave activity. And what okay. we've learned is, you go to talk therapy, they can't talk that brain activity away. Sure. But what neurofeedback does is over a course of 30 or 40 sessions, again, connected to electrodes, watching a video where you're receiving. So you've got uh, visual stimulation, auditory, you've got earbuds in, and tactile stimulation. So you have some vibrating pods. And that technology runs in the background. And all you're really trying to do is just watch TV and hear music and, and feel that tactile stimulation. And those, 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 all three of those stimuli will decrease if you're, and it, it, you just want to find that sweet spot where you're watching and you're hearing and you're feeling that um, that stimulation, and it's just remapping your brain and retraining your brain. And over the course of those thirty or forty sessions, it's done that. Um, so wow. to date, we have about thirty men and women that have done neurofeedback just this year alone. Okay, um, I completed it, um, and and with with incredible results. You seem super calm, right? Right. <laughs> um, so that, and again, that uh, the cool thing about neurofeedback is, again, in normalizing and talking about it, um, a lot of our men and women go to the same practice, right? See each other in the waiting room, and joke and tease and enjoy the camaraderie in the waiting room 
and this common understanding of what they're doing, and there's no stigma associated. So it's with becoming it. part of the culture for sure. That's amazing. So talk to me about EMDR real quickly. So EMDR, I don't understand the in my layman's terms, right? As well as neurofeedback, but essentially, what EMDR is a is a clinician is a clinician led session. Um, so where there you're you're following a light pattern or a finger. It's clinician led, right? Um, and it puts you into a REM sleep. So it puts your brain in like to where you are in REM, right? And when you're in REM sleep, that's where you process trauma. That's where you, that's where your brain does all its hard work, right? Um, and so they're able to lead you through. Sorry, lead you into REM sleep, and so. I'm sorry. EMDR is great around a sentinel event. Okay. So let, let's say that you, you know, that you saw a, a, a pet get hit by a car and you can't get that vision out of your head. Okay. So you, it, it you ruminated on at night, you, you know, not nightmares, but it's stuck in there all the time. Sure, kind of on loop. And you just can't, you can't get rid of it. EMDR is really good around that sentinel event and, and letting your brain process it and move it to it. To where it should sit as a memory okay. or, or sort of put it in the box in your brain. Yeah. I've done a lot of EMDR myself and think it's an amazing tool. I, you did a great job explaining it. I can't tell you how it works either. <laughs> I just followed lights on a bar. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and it was super helpful. So what I'm hearing for you from you is you all are really um, on the forefront of being able to integrate culturally the fact that there are resources to help um, that are more, let's call them non-traditional. That's not just somebody going and sitting down and pouring their heart out to somebody and hoping to get some feedback that helps them. You all are actually using technological resources to make a difference in healing trauma. So changing the neural pathways in our brain. Is that pretty that, accurate? Yeah, I think that's fair. So I, I love that you say that, that, you know, people are seeing each other in the waiting room and that, that it, the stigma has been reduced of doing that. What do you think the, um, the next steps of the work that you all are doing, what would you like to see be integrated into the work? Is it doing more of the same? Or are there other things that you see being on the, the forefront? I, I do think it's more of the same. Okay. Um, and, you know, other things that we're, we're beginning to understand and, and utilize is honestly sports psychology, sports performance right. psychology. So we, we have sort of been collaborating with DU's um, Center for Performance Excellence, and they have okay. a high-risk occupation class. So we send our, some firefighters and crews to go visit them. So they can understand what a high risk occupation is, right? And at the same time, we've brought some interns, so graduate interns, in to start working with our recruit academies, and to start you you know the, that specialty that they're learning at DU to implement with our recruits. So mindfulness and breathing techniques, and you know dress rehearsal, um, uh, all those kind of mental performance things um, into their regular you know, at the, at the beginning of their career into their regular right, which, routine. Which I would guess is going to make a big difference as the cycle of their career plays out. For sure. Yeah. And then yeah. considering bringing in a, um, a sports performance psychologist to work with us full time. And so okay. we've sort of, we've been connected with the Thor three group at Fort Carson and they have, the military has sports performance psychologists sure. embedded with them everywhere sure. for a good reason. And they prepare men and women for battle and they help rehabilitate them post battle. Um, and both physically, mentally, and, and from a performance um, base. And, the, um, and so we, we, we really asked them the question, do you think that role would be a good fit at South Metro? Right. And there's all this cross-pollinization when you start to look at these things, right, with new, new modalities of treatment. Um, and, and maybe the sports performance psychologist piece, you know, we, we, we would love to have a pill or a silver bullet inoculate men and women against right. stress injury, I don't think there is, but I think that with um, 
you know, a multifaceted approach. So good, swift treatment on the back end and, and developing some of these uh, performance and resiliency skills on the front end, maybe mm-hmm. we can make a make a difference in how we address it. Well, I love that you guys are really focused on this kind of preemptive work and, and training, um, you know, new recruits. So then you're doing the more um, preventative work along the way, and then you're doing the you know the the deeper dive for people that are already in the trenches and needing needing that. Um, I know when you and I have talked before, you all are looking at other technologies to integrate. I, there's you, you talked to me about something related to VR. Um, I, I know you're probably not there yet, but can you tell us what that might look like? I, I think the, yeah, the so future for, is fascinating. Yeah. So again, another opportunity to collaborate um, with. So this time with the University of Colorado and their Mental Health Innovation Center. So around virtual reality. Right. So virtual reality has, um, I think there's a great opportunity um, to dress, rehearse, and um, implement trainings in a safe environment right. um, to help men and women overcome overcome some of, um, some of the issues or I guess more of the phobias that they have, right? We know, well, and a great example is we know that over time, incidents of claustrophobia and a fear of heights increase with age. And that's just in the general population. Sure. So that's going to happen in our firefighter population as right. well, right? right? And so um, I, we, we think there's a great opportunity both from a mindfulness and a relaxation piece around virtual reality and also um, training in a virtual reality environment. So what we've done in wellness right now is we have a couple of virtual reality units. And so when our men and women are on ice or heating before or after a treatment, um, we really try to get them to meditate and, and go through that meditation protocol in the virtual reality goggles. And so that's cool. So they get used to that environment um, and sort of, nor- again, normalizes that it's sort of a cool technology to use in it and, right. it, and that it works. Right. Um, so it helps. So we try to get that exposure. And then um, in the not too distant future, um, we'll have a more elaborate VR setup. Okay. Um, and so the men and women that work at Oxford virtual reality. Um, are, have implemented a social anxiety protocol and a okay. fear of heights protocol. And so we'll be implementing those at South Metro. And so uh, men and women can come go through those those different virtual reality protocols. And so, um, and they can self-select. They can come in with, you know, with anonymity and do it. Wow. And, and, then, and then that way they're not climbing a 100-foot aerial or jumping out a fifth-floor window. It's really a desensitization tool, isn't it? For sure. And, yeah. so one of the, and, and really what led us here, again, how some of these things are all connected is from an injury prevention perspective, we we were looking at, we, we do an annual bailout training. So every firefighter has a 60-foot rope in their, in their, in their bunker pants okay. with, a, with a hook and a tension device. And so the intent is it's, it's our bailout bag. And so if you had to evacuate um, out of an apartment building or a second-story window, you would throw the hook in the window and just jump out the window. Right. In the corner. And so what we found in that training is at the we have a ground-level mock-up. No one ever gets injured. But in the fifth-floor window, we're seeing injuries. And that's okay. where um, members are grabbing the windowsill, grabbing the, the rope, holding onto the equipment, and we're seeing bicep rupture, um, pec, or shoulder injuries. And so okay. we were looking at, like, well, what can we do to – to reduce the rate of injury in that training. And simplistically, we were like, do you do a good warm up? Do you do an extra safety message before? But now we're seeing that maybe the opportunity is this virtual reality. So men and women wow. can dress, rehearse, right? Train in that virtual reality environment and then go back to the to the bailout training and go out that fifth floor window and, and not sustain an injury. 
I can imagine that has real benefit in, in real-world application. I mean, because at the end of the day, the jobs you all are doing, they're dangerous, you know, and to, to be in that setting and, and to, um, you know, make a snap decision, decision or judgment, I mean, uh, no fault of anybody, but you can hurt yourself pretty easily, um, which is how you end up seeing people. Would you say um, kind of along the continuum of the people that you're seeing go through your wellness program, you know, after an injury or an event – is it pretty consistent across all age ranges or is it does it affect you know older firefighters younger more more prevalently or i, I think it's i think it's universal right okay. and that's the best way to describe i think it doesn't matter truthfully okay. i think that we people are in all different phases of their life right. right and so our younger men and women are typically incredibly active in in um we do attract a risk taking population sure um so I think that we see a lot of those kind of risk-taking injuries on the front end, physical injuries on the front end. Okay. And I think as we age, right, I'm almost 50, you right. you know our joints start to wear down a bit, <laughs> and we see some of those chronic use injuries in that other population Okay. Um, as as we age. But 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 if you looked at our whole sample, we're, we're 21 to, I think, to 60 right now in our, wow. in our wellness room as far as men and women that we're treating. And I, and I believe when it comes to stress injury, um, it's similar. Um, I think that we've learned um, through so much of the research and data that's been produced that in general terms, you know, they, they, they believe that 80, 80 to 75 to 80 percent of the population is generally resilient. This is why we've survived as a species for 2000 sure. or 10,000 years, right? It's like we because we're resilient right. and a smaller population. So that 25 to 20 percent is less resilient. OK. And then in that, you know, there's maybe five or 10% that may or may not get a stress injury, right? And so okay. um, so sort of having that understanding is pretty, you can connect the dots and realize that it doesn't matter if you've been on the job for 30 years or or two months. Right. Um, the potential is there based on sort of where you fit in that. in that On that continuum. For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So I can imagine the work you're doing is fantastic. I can imagine that there are other agencies that are wanting to study with you guys or model the, the protocols that you've developed, is is that the case? Yeah, I think that we collaborate. So, again, you know, we've been collaborating with Douglas County Sheriff's Office um, right. and, and Detective Dan Bright and on their wellness program. And I think yeah. that one philo- philo- um, philosophy that we share is, and it si- sounds silly sometimes, and is it's really all for the greater good. And men and women that are emergency responders in public safety, whether they're law enforcement or fire or EMS-based, we're all in this. We're all in the same game, right. and we're all seeing the same things. And right. our cultures may may have subtle differences, but collaboration is really what makes it better for all of us. Well, that's in most things in life, isn't it? Oh, for sure. And in our world, it, it took some time just for us to collaborate at the, the call level because of our cultures. But right. as we finally train together and work together, I think that's led us to um, take care of each other better. Sure. Um, and as we've augmented our service at South Metro, we've for sure offered our services to agencies that don't have a robust system. And we've definitely taken care of men and women from other agencies through our network to make sure they get the care they need. And what that does, right, is it just raises the awareness in their own agency of what maybe they, right. what gap they have. But um, and so the collaboration piece is 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 big. And I know Aurora PD is is doing similar stuff and right. working, working hard like we are. Um, and I know, coll- you know all of us together are going to try to sort of put put together a wellness conference in uh, September, October next year. Where yeah, that's going to be a great event. Yeah, so I think that or the hope is it will be right. No, right, and it'll be it'll be a unique event um, because 
police and sheriffs stay in their world and fire, we stay in our world when it right. comes to conferences and trainings um, that are outside of our own agencies. And so this will be a unique experience because we're really going to bring everybody together. And it's going to be, again, it's going to be interesting because we're, we're going we're gonna to bring families in. We want it to be, uh, again, that whole wellness picture. Right. It's going to be a wellness conference. We want it to be work and home and, and, and kids and spouses. And we want to talk about all those issues right. that, that, that happen in between. Yeah. I mean, that, that's our whole lives. Right. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, um, thank you for the excellent work you're doing with South Metro. I think it's, it's fantastic. Um, if somebody's listening to this that doesn't work for South Metro, um, that may be struggling and may have some issues, what do you think a good starting point for them is? Where would you direct them to, to maybe get on this path if they haven't done so or don't necessarily have available tools? That's a tough one, right? What's yeah. out there, um, and and I have to admit that I don't have a great, I don't have a great resource for outside because you have think, so many good tools. Well, and I think it it speaks to why we did look internally, right? Right. There's, I mean, there there are so many online resources um, from the IFF Behavioral Health Center, um, the, some of those local resources like Denver Springs, um, and Suicide Hotline. There's all those, sure, but the I think some of those are so generic and don't seem tangible that it's hard for people to reach out. In our world, in our community, in, in, in Arapahoe and Douglas counties, you know, accessing your, 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 your first responders is really the first step if you're lost and you don't know what to do. Right. You know, or police officers and sheriff's deputies are trained to, to, to interact with those people as well as firefighters and paramedics. And I think that's the great first line. And doesn't mean we, we go anywhere, but we can help give you those resources. Right. So we, essentially having the courage to talk to somebody in your own community that oh, speaks your language. For sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, is there anything we didn't cover today that you have a burning desire to share? I don't think so. Okay. Um, well, I certainly have enjoyed the, uh, our time together and appreciate all the work that you're doing for the community. And thank you for being here today. Thank you. We are glad you shared your time with us today. Thank you. If you or someone you know is struggling, we are here to help. You are not alone. The Connection Project has resources that can support you. I encourage you to check out the Everyday Brave digital resource list, which can be found on our website, www.realpeoplerealife.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.